Good morning. Uh, it's good to see several of you at Sunday school already uh, this morning. And uh, I've heard so much about this church uh, growing up. And I think, though, this is the first time I've actually had the privilege of being here. So I'm very thankful uh, for the privilege to be back here. Um, Mr. Fawcett, good to see you. A huge friend of family, especially my grandparents. Uh, let's pray and let's dive into God's Word. Father, we thank you for the time we've already had in worship, um, also in your Word in Sunday school. And we pray now that you would speak to us from your Word, um, that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts and lives, open our hearts to understand and grow in it. We pray that you would build up your church for your glory uh, through the preaching of your Word. And I pray for your grace and mercy in my life to preach it faithfully and clearly. pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'll ask you to open your Bible again to Nehemiah 8. Uh, we've already read the passage that I will preach on uh, at the beginning of the service. And so please keep it open as we work through the text. Nehemiah chapter 8. As you open your Bibles, I want you to think about this question. Uh, if you were here in Sunday school, I'll see it's very much connected to what we were talking about. What is, what is it that gives life, true life, to God's people, to the church? Many times as believers, many times as a church, we are looking for the secret sauce that will just give that boom, that... that uh, uh, that life that will resolve all our difficulties, all our problems, uh, all the, maybe the suffering that we're dealing with, um, will, that will really uh, bring true revival even to the life of a church. What is it that brings life to God's church? Uh, back in 2010, uh, my family and I were on vacation uh, in the States, and my parents had always had a dream of doing a trip out west. Uh, so we got a bunch of cars, went from uh, the East Coast all the way out to Colorado, and that was enough, plenty far. Uh, and while we were in Colorado, we went up to the Rockies, and one of the days there, all the women in the family decided to go shopping. Uh, so the men hit our credit cards, and as they went down to the outlets and everything, we decided we would go visit a gold mine that we had seen uh, that was a tourist attraction on, near the highway going up the mountains. Uh, so we went down there and paid for the tour. And while we were waiting for our guide, they told us that we could pan for gold in a little stream that flowed down the mountain right outside the mouth of the cave mine, or uh, the gold mine. Uh, so I said, yeah, well, that's just a gimmick, right? And they said, no, just last week, you know, somebody found a little, a little pebble, a little gold nugget, and it was worth around like $6,000. So we're right in there, you know, rolling up our pants, getting, well, just wear, you know. And, and from there on, anything that glitters was gold, yeah, or not, right? And so we're, we're just trying to find, and we're just there. And as we were doing that and waiting for uh, time, to, we didn't find any gold, okay? I am not independently wealthy uh, since then. We, I started talking to the lady there who was running that part of the tour and um, asking, listen, have you uh, done much 
gold mining? I said, yeah. I've mined for gold all over the place, here, uh, in the stay up in Alaska, Yukon. And have you found much gold? Oh, yeah. I found lots of gold. And, I, and as she was saying that, I thought, well, wait a second. Um, she was dressed almost in rags. And you could really tell that she was totally um, impoverished. Well, soon after that, we didn't find anything, so they took us on the tour and inside uh, that uh, gold mine, and there was still, even though it was deactivated, there was still, um, you could see glittering on the wall the, um, what do you call it, the, the veins of, of gold that was still there. Millions and millions of dollars worth of gold sitting right there next to where we were panning for gold. And it got me to thinking, how many times as a church, how many times as individuals, we are looking for that special something that will make a whole huge difference in our lives that will totally revitalize our church, our lives, and we're panning for anything we can find. While right next to us, we have the gold mine of God's word. As we look through this text, we realize that God's word is the gold mine that brings life, true wealth to us and to his church. Because it is in the Bible that we find the gospel of Jesus Christ. We may visit churches. Some of you have been to other churches. And sometimes we visit churches and trying to find, well, do I feel the presence here? Is there a connection? Is there the program I need, maybe for me or for my children? Does the pastor have the right personality? Or many other things that we may be looking for. But I want you to be honest. Do you really ask, do I hear God's word being preached here? So many times we let go of the treasures of God's word and pan for gold elsewhere, but only find poverty for our souls. So I want you to go back to the story in the Old Testament of how the people of God found true gold, true life, even what we could call true revival, new life for His people, and they found it in God's Word. So you have your Bibles open in Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, just so you can remember what's going on in the story here of the Old Testament. Uh, God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, they had sinned over and over again, despite having God's blessings, being in the promised land, having God's word, having God's king that he had raised up, David and his um, descendants. They had turned their backs on God, had fallen in idolatry time and time again. God had warned them through his prophets, and finally they were kicked out of the land, kind of a repetition of the Garden of Eden story, and they were taken to the exile in Babylon and then Persia for 70 years. But after those 70 years, God, fulfilling His promises, brought them back miraculously. And they rebuilt uh, the walls, rebuilt the temple. And now they were living again the promises of God and we read the story of a true revival in their midst. But it was a difficult time. Social and economic instability, looming international threats, uncertainty regarding the future. 
Uh, go back to verses 1 through 8, which we've already read. But I'd like you to look at some of the details we see here in the text, especially regarding the public reading and explanation of the law. That's what we see happen here. A renewal beginning, a revival that began. How does it happen? Is it a new program? Is it a new self-help book? Is it a new super preacher? No. Look back. I want you to realize some of the words that are repeated here. Look at verse 1, chapter 8. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women, and those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Let's pause here for a moment. What phrase do you see repeated here already? Who was there? All who could understand. Why? What's going on here? They're not there for just some empty ritual. Oh yeah, you know, we have to get together. It's that time of, again, time of the week. We need to gather and we need to listen to a talk. And so just waiting for the time to go by and that's it. They were there those were there who could understand because what was going on? The Word of God was being read to them. Reading through chapter by chapter of the Word of God, the law of God. But was it just the reading of the law? If you keep looking down, they were attentive to it. Um, we see all those difficult names. And Scott did a really wonderful job reading those. And so I don't have to read them now. Uh, and look down to verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And he, as he opened it, all the people stood. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So what did they do? Then he had the Levites. And again, another list of names. What did they do? What did these Levites do as the word was read? They helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense, again, so that the people understood the reading. Well, we don't have, we don't have a ritual here. We have a hunger. A hunger for God's word. A hunger for hearing God's word read and hearing it explained. This wasn't Ezra's ideas. He wasn't up there just telling them what he thought they needed to hear. He was reading the text of Scripture and then explaining it. Well, we talked, those of you who are here for Sunday school, we talked about one of the marks of a healthy church is what we call expository preaching. What is that? It is when the preacher comes up and instead of just saying what he wants to say, he reads the text, explains the text, and applies the text. That's basically it. What, is the, what does the text say? What does it mean? What does it mean for how we should live as God's people? And that's what's going on here. We see that this is what the people came together for. What are the attitudes of the people? First, they're the ones who invited Ezra to bring the book of the law. We see their attentiveness. And did you notice how long they were out there? 
Now go back to verse uh, 3. And he read it, read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Well, there's a real formula for church growth right there. Right? You know, let's get everybody outside in the Middle Eastern sun from daybreak until noon, standing up, and what are we going to do? We're going to read Deuteronomy. And then we'll explain it. You've got to be kidding. Is that it? But I want you to see the life that God gave his people in the Old Testament through that, just that. Reading, explaining, applying the word of God. Summary of, of what we see in this chapter is that the exposition of God's word produces true spiritual revival, true spiritual life. Let's see some of these reactions here in the text. Uh, first reactions we see in verses 9 through 12. Nehemiah 8, 9 through 12. Where we find that the exposition of God's word produces repentance that leads to joy. Uh, let's see the, the text again here. And Nehemiah, in verse 9, I'm reading in the ESV, who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. When we hear God's word read, explained, and applied, there's a mixture of emotions that are involved with that. Um, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When the word of God is preached, it reveals the ugly sin in our hearts before a holy God. They were hearing the law of God, and they were seeing how far they were from it. They had not obeyed God's word. That's why they had been sent to the exile. And they grieved. They repented. If you read chapter 9, you'll see a, an extended uh, repentance of, of the people as a whole. But as they grieve, what do the Levites and leaders say to them? Today is a holy day. Today is not a day for grieving. It is a day for rejoicing. It sounds to me kind of like um, maybe when you were a kid and you were playing outside and you fell down, skinned your knee, and you run inside crying, and mommy comes, and she pulls out of the cabinet a little bottle, hydrogen peroxide, or here, metrolach, okay? And then you're crying for a different reason. Because as that was uh, put on your scraped knee, what do you feel? It stings. It stings a lot. Why does it sting? Because it's purifying, it's burning the, the dirt, 
uh, that was still in your cut so you could heal better. What happens when we hear God's word preached? We are confronted with our sin and it stings. We see how far we are from God's perfect holiness. But the word of God doesn't leave us there. In our repentance, in our contrition, it brings us to the Savior and reminds us this is a holy day because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, why? Because we see that God has, um, is pleased to not crush us in our sin, but to provide redemption. For these people, in their, um, in their time in the Old Testament, God had brought them back after 70 years of discipline in the exile. They were back in the promised land. God's promises were still um, true. And for us, the preaching of God's word reminds us, yes, you are a great sinner, but God has provided a great Savior. The preaching of God's word brings life to his people because we see our sin. We repent, and that leads us to true joy. The joy of seeing that our heavenly daddy smiles at us. Not because of our good works, but because of Christ's merits. You can imagine a child playing a soccer game. And he's been beat up. He's hurt. He's maybe not even playing well. But when he sees his daddy in the stands, smiling at him, his father's joy over his son, what does that produce? A new enjoyment, a new strength to go out and play because he sees his father's joy. Because of Christ, because of salvation we have in Christ, because of God's grace, we enjoy God's joy. And that gives us strength to persevere, to live, to follow him. That's the first reaction we see here. The exposition of God's word produces true spiritual revival. It produces repentance that leads to joy. There's another reaction here in the text. Verses 13 through the end of the chapter, verse 18. The exposition of God's word produces a salvation celebration. Look what happens. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths, temporary shelters, during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring uh, branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. Okay, let's pause here for a second. When we hear and understand God's word, we become hungry for more. The leaders, leaders, families of the tribes, uh, leaders of the people, they got together, and now we need more. What, what do we do? What, what do we teach? How do we lead our people? And here's just a quick parenthesis, implication for all of us but especially those God has put in some form of leadership, of authority, be it even our own, in our own home. We desperately need God's word to know how to lead those he's placed under us. 
And so they're, they're with Ezra the next day, and they're studying God's word, and what do they find? They find this really old-fashioned law about the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. If you go back in your Bible, uh, you'll find that this was a feast that God established for that month where everyone would go basically camping for a week, okay? They'd go and, and pull up bare grills. They'd make temporary shelters. They'd make a lean-to and sleep there during that week. Now, I want you to imagine the reactions to this, okay? What were the kids thinking? This is awesome, you know? We get to go camping for a week? That's, that's incredible. This, and we, yeah. But maybe some of the others like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We, I, I just built my house. We just, got back, we just got here. You know, I've got a brand new mattress. You know, this is very uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. If you read a little bit further, um, down to verse uh, 17, they said that they had not done this in this way since the days of Joshua. We're talking like a thousand years where they hadn't celebrated this feast, at least in this way. Can you imagine going back and finding in the Bible something that has not been practiced by the people of God for a millennia? What would be the reaction? Yeah, this is probably one of those parts of the Bible that we need to kind of spiritualize. Maybe we need to update this portion. Maybe, you know, I think you're being a little bit too fundamentalist. This is, come on, Ezra, this is one of those things where, yeah, okay, but no. The text continues. They did it. Follow in your Bibles. Um, Verse 16. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. But what was the reaction? Oh, this is just one, another one of those things you got to do because the Bible tells us we have to. Is that how they reacted? Look how verse 17 finishes. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. They radically obeyed God's word. And the result was more joy. Not dry legalism. It was joy because they discovered that they were celebrating redemptive history. What does that mean? As they were celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles, of the tents, these booths, they were remembering that feast was meant to remind them how God had saved them, had redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt. Remember that? He took care of them for 40 years in the desert. He sustained them and brought them to the Promised Land. It was a story of the redemption of the people, the birth of their nation. Now, they had spent 70 years in exile, but God had brought them back again. God had redeemed his people. God was faithful to his promises. And they were connecting the dots. Same God, 
same Savior, same Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, many times we update God's Word according to our whims and our culture. When the Bible isn't convenient, when the Bible isn't comfortable, we do what we want to do. We make church how we want to make it. We seek, we pan for gold in church models. We try many different things. In Sunday school, uh, began last week and we continue today, uh, studying uh, nine marks of a healthy church. This, you need to decide as a church, as you study these, what we're talking about and what is the mark of a healthy church. Is this just one more fad? One more model? One more of these, so many that we have in evangelicalism nowadays. Or, what you are listening to truly comes from the Word of God and is helping us go back and understand how, does, how should the church operate? How, what should the church be? Where does that come from? It's not human ideas. It must come from the Word of God. And as we look to it, obey it, even old-fashioned ideas. Because God brings life through His Word. The exposition of God's Word produces celebration of God's redemption. We remember God's goodness to us in sending us Jesus Christ. We celebrate redemptive history every Sunday as we gather. In baptism, in the Lord's Supper, we see the God of the Bible and see that He is the same God of Calvary International Church. He's my God. He's your God. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God produces true spiritual life. True revival. Not what many call revival, but true revival. True confession of sins, repentance. True life. True conversion. A true church. We see this in all of the Bible. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, we saw in Sunday school, God creates the world through His powerful Word. In Deuteronomy, right before he died, Moses repeated and explained the law and the covenant. And when he was finished, in Deuteronomy 32, 47, he says, For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. In the dark ages of the judges, the Bible says that the word of God was rare. In 1 Samuel, the first chapters, we see a revival where the prophet Samuel brings God's word to his people and God's word spreads throughout the land of Israel. We remember later on in the days of King Josiah, the spiritual revival in 2 Kings 22 and 23, they were cleaning up the temple and they found the law. They found the word of God. They read it. It was explained. And what happened? Same thing as here. Repentance, rejoicing, celebration, Psalm 119 repeats time after time that the word of God brings life. Listen to a few verses. Verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Verse 93. I will never forget your precepts for by them you have given me life. Verse 107. I am severely afflicted. You may be severely afflicted this morning for many reasons our struggle with sin, and our struggles in a sinful world. What does he ask? 
Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Time and time again, the prophets in the Old Testament used the word of the Lord to warn people to return and live. In the New Testament, we see Jesus, the word who became flesh, who was life himself. John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken, Jesus is saying this, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus' word brings life. The spirit gives life through the word that he himself inspired. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit enabled the disciples to speak the gospel in other languages. That drew a multitude. But then Peter stands up and preaches. And how do people respond? Acts 2.37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They hear their gospel. And 3,000 were saved that day. And finally, we come to Apostle Paul's final exhortation to Timothy. And we read this text in Sunday school. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. I charge in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Brothers and sisters, there are so many texts in all of Scripture pointing to the word of God that he uses by his spirit to bring life to his people. That's why we spend this time listening to the word of God being preached. That's why preaching of God's word must be reading the text, explaining the text, text, applying the text. Where are the answers to life's questions and struggles? Where are the keys for a healthy church to grow in Sao Paulo, in Africa, in the Amazon? In Scripture. So I ask you this morning, are you panning for gold in the shallow waters of the culture of this world? Or are you mining the depths, the riches of God's word? It will take hard work. It will take time. It will take dependence on God's spirit. But dive in. Listen. As an individual, as you come and sit under the preaching of the word, do, do you seek the word at every opportunity? Or is this an occasional thing? Are you casually skimming the top, coming when you feel like it, almost challenging the preacher to say something interesting? Or are you in the word even during the week? By yourself, with your spouse, with your children? Do you mind God's word daily, weekly, is God's word working in your heart to convict you of your sin and point you to Christ where you can be truly changed? And I challenge as a church, as a whole, in this time of transition that you're in, what is it you want as a church? What is it you need as a church? Many churches around the world, like I said, are still panning for gold. You have the gold mine. Will you prioritize the faithful preaching of God's word? Will this church be built up around Christ and his word? And my prayer is that the word will continue to bear fruit in your life in this church and go out in a true spiritual revival, not just here, but around the world. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for what you have been doing already so many decades in this church and through this church. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here as they are in this time of transition, making very important decisions regarding the future of this local body. Father, I pray that your word will be central because in your word, your great salvation through Christ Jesus is revealed. In your word, we find the depths of the riches of your revelation. We see your will for us. We see your love for us. We find how we should lead our lives following you. And Lord, we find true life in Christ. I pray that you would bless this church. And in Christ's name I pray. Amen.